Welcome to Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Today we will learn about Nevada County Adult Services. With us is Kelly Carpenter, Adult Services Program Manager and Public Guardian. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me this evening. Well, thank you so much. And there's so much for us to learn about what you do. Uh, so maybe you, we could just start off asking you, what is adult protective services or adult services? Sure. Adult services in Nevada County has four main programs. We have adult protective services. We have in-home support services. We have our public guardian's office. And then we also have our senior outreach nursing program. So for APS, we serve uh, adults 60 and older on, and uh, persons living with a disability 18 to 59. And APS is the Adult Protective Services. Correct. Uh-huh. Okay, uh -huh. so we'll probably get more into what that protection is. Correct. So then the next thing is? Our in-home support services program. We serve any age who qualifies for Medi-Cal living with a disability and is at risk of out-of-home placement. And then our public guardian's office serves adults 18 and older. And then our senior outreach nurse program serves seniors and adults living with a disability 60 and older. And no one has to remember all of this. You can just call our main line for assistance or questions at 530-265-1639. I love that you lead with a phone number because for a lot of us that is uh, so nice to think you can talk to somebody. So let's just say it again. Sure. 530-265-1639 is our main number. And so you get to talk to a person. But you also have a website with a lot of good information, Correct. too. And that Correct. just by searching Nevada County Adult uh, Services. Adult Services. Yeah. Right. So that that's great. Um, so one of the things that we've talked about on this show over time is you know, how beneficial it is to, to us, to all of us, because we will all die uh, to set up our advanced directives or our five wishes or a will or a trust or power of attorney. And so one of the things that, that I know you do in your office is help people at the times where they need help, uh, when they're vulnerable, um, if they don't have those things in place. So maybe you could just start off talking about that a little bit. Sure. Um, the conditions could vary um, due to an accident or an injury, but typically um, if a person has been deemed incompetent by a medical physician to make decisions for themselves and there is no known power of attorney for health care or finance, um, a case like this could be referred f to our uh, public guardian's office from the hospital. Um, the public guardian is the last resort, and we make every attempt to find next of kin um, to, to help that person in need at that time. Yeah, so um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if somebody ends up in the hospital and mm -hmm. they haven't filed their advance directive with the hospital, um, and maybe they live up here far away from their kids, and they're not in a position where they can communicate, what kind of What's the steps? Does a hospital call call your office and say, can you help us figure this out? They do. They, they'll contact me directly. Um, they'll go over the case and the situation at hand. 
Um, if the client does not have capacity any longer, then um, we would ask if a physician is willing to sign a legal document, a court document, a capacity declaration. Uh, for us to move forward with conserving that person. But part of our conserving, conserving process is that we look for next of kin. And so we do family searches. The hospital does family searches as well to make sure that there is nobody who is able to make decisions for them and provide for their care. Yeah, and so I guess I'm kind of stuck on this, this hospital thing, but I'm sure there's a lot of different variations. But... You know, I imagine some people live in a in a community where they've got uh, friends from church or, or a nice neighbor, and uh, who would be happy to 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 speak on somebody's behalf. Is that a possibility? Or if you don't have it legally set up, you don't have somebody who could say, "Oh, we were just talking about this last night. I know this person wants this kind of care." That information definitely could be part of our APS report it, um, because if we do get a case like that and the person, let's say, is in the community, then we would have APS investigate the case and we would. We would try and talk to, you know, neighbors or friends and see any information that we can find out about the person and what their wishes would be. So all of that is definitely taken into consideration. So that's really interesting, Kelly, when you're talking about um, investigating. I mean, so your your team, your huge team, you were just telling me you have this huge team, not so much, but of this two. dedicated team, <laughs> this dedicated team of two, that when they become aware of somebody who needs that, um, that voice, that, uh, that then you do that kind of exhaustive research. Yeah, so APS has no authority to make medical decisions for somebody. Um, in this example, APS would work in collaboration with our senior outreach nurses to better understand the medical need and identify barriers to accessing the treatment and to solve for those barriers, right? Um, and if further investigation is needed, then APS would cross-report to our public guardian's office if truly we found nobody that is able to speak on this person's behalf or care for them or willing to step in. Then we move it to our public guardian side of the fence, and then we investigate the case again with the information that we were able to gain from the APS team. Well, I, I do hope that... Um those of us who are interested in this in this topic of, of acknowledging that that we will all pass and, and um, that there's a value to thinking ahead to support our loved ones or to make sure our intentions for our own care are carried out um, that we're not in this position. But do you do you find that that there are a lot of people um, who haven't thought this out or maybe they're just not in a position to plan? Ahead, I mean, what's the average person that, that we, comes we, to your office? We do see um, most folks not making a plan. Um, they don't have powers of attorney in place or trust documents that have been drawn up. The, those cases make it really challenging to 
care for those uh, folks and also make sure that we carry out what their wishes truly are if they're not written down. So if that's one thing I would encourage folks to do is, is really make your plan. It doesn't have to be a trust. It could be a power of attorney for health care and finance. And a lot of times um, what we see is that people will make the powers of attorney for health care but then not do a power of attorney for finance. And then that person that you've entrusted with your medical decisions, they don't have access to your finances to be able to provide for your care or pay your bills while you're healing. Um, so that creates a problem as well. Yeah, that, boy, I mean, you you do probably see the um, the worst extent of not planning. Yes, we, we see the worst extent of not planning. Yeah. And also just, just your wishes. And I love the five wishes booklet because it just really outlines what you want done at the end of your life. Yeah, and I, it's just I, trying to make that happen. I, I'm glad so. you mentioned that because we have had, um, we actually had one of the people that was at the beginning of developing that book mm. uh, on and we had um, folks from hospice talk about the five wishes. So it is something that you can look up online and you don't have to involve an attorney in that. Um, no, no. And we have those booklets as well. Oh, and you do too. Yeah. So oh, you my. can call our office and we can mail them out. That's so cool. So we've been using the word conserve, um, but I just want to fully understand what is a conservatorship? It, it sounds really heady, really, really legal and really limiting. Um, so what what is a conservatorship? Well, a conservatorship is put in place when a person is just no longer able to make decisions for themselves. Um, so though basically there's two types of conservatorships. One's an LPS conservatorship, which is a mental health conservatorship. And then there's probate conservatorships, typically for people who have dementia. Our mental health conservatorships are pursued once, uh, once it's referred to our office from behavioral health. The public guardian's office can't act alone in this type of conservatorship, and the behavioral health holds um, the professional licensors to make this type of referral, and they provide the appropriate treatment plans and placements. The public guardian manages the day-to-day -day management of personal needs, makes those quarterly visits, monthly care conferences, makes make sure all the bills are paid and make sure that that person has, you know, personal needs like their clothing, books, spending money and so forth. Uh, LPS conservatorships typically last one year and then go through uh, a renewal process. And if it is appropriate, the conservatorship will continue or if, they, if it's not, then it will be dropped and the client is stepped down to a lower level of care after one year, which we just all hope for our clients. And, and the other conservatorship that was called the... The probate conservatorship. Conser and the, so that, I always think of probate once somebody passes, but that is really just about finances. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Well, it's just person and estate for probates, okay. and they are typically referred from the hospital or APS referrals um, when there is no next of kin and no client, and the client no longer has capacity. So this is where our office has to 
get that legal document, a capacity declaration signed by a medical physician for our office to file for conservatorship. And then any time that person um, needs money to get groceries or if they wanted to take a trip, then they have to work with whoever is appointed as their conservator? That's correct. Yeah. And it just depends on, you know, their financial situation because the uh, public guardian doesn't receive any money to provide for our conservatees care. We have to develop a care plan and budget with their income, their sole income. And so sometimes that's often limiting. Yeah. So would you say that the majority of the folks that your office works with um, are limited in their income or do you get do you work with clients that also maybe have resources but had not planned ahead? Most of our clients are indigent. Mm-hmm. They have nobody, um, very limited income. Um, we do have a couple of cases throughout the years where folks do have assets, um, but there was nobody to step in and, and be that uh, person for them. And so we've conserved them under the probate conservatorship. And in those cases, yes, we you know were able to provide Uh, for their care um, in assisted living facilities, um, where our other clients sometimes on limited income, you know, where we need to use Medi-Cal funding, and then they're in skilled nursing placement. Yeah, that's that's interesting how that works. Well, you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and my guest tonight is Kelly Carpenter, Adult Services Program Manager for the County of Nevada. And we're talking about, right now, we're talking about uh, conservatorship, and we'll probably want to go back to that. But I also want to know more about some of the other programs, um, because I do think of adult protective services oftentimes when it comes to uh, abuse. And so what kind of abuse comes through your office? Is it always going to be a physical abuse? Is it emotional abuse, financial Um, abuse? Abuse can be self-neglect of person or property, the the client themselves um, are self-neglecting, or it can be abuse by others, physical, emotional, or financial. Uh, Currently, we're seeing an uptick in financial scams. And right now, uh, the Microsoft computer scam is is pretty big. And can you also, tell us more about that? Um, yes. In f- fact, I had it happen to me on Friday, and I've I've never have before, so that was kind of a cool experience. But and I can see how intimidating it is because your screen literally freezes. You have Microsoft wording comes up on the screen and there's a ribbon messaging that goes through and it just literally tells you do not shut down the computer do not do this do not do that please call this number and this number is literally flashing on your computer um so when that happened uh, you know i reached out to our t department and they quickly resolved that problem but but um, a lot of our clients, they fall for that, and they call the number on the screen, and, it, and it's just a way to get to their uh, money. And we've had clients lose money over that scam. So that one is recirculating wow, that, again. That is, is really frightening because a, a part of my brain is thinking that a lot of times your clients must be particularly vulnerable. But, I mean, that's intimidating. You're on your computer, maybe in the middle of doing something on Amazon, mm-hmm. um, and... I mean, how the average person kind of freaks out. 
Oh yeah, I I I was happy to see it firsthand, but I, I but it was you know kind of unnerving to see that, um, and I had you know our fantastic IT department to call, so and a lot of folks don't. So. Yeah, and I would never ever think about calling Adult Protective Services for something like that, mm-hmm. and I I guess I would wonder is this something even that the police have the, the time to, to look into. So that's interesting. So you could actually call absolutely Adult Protective Services. Yeah, absolutely. And anything like that, we, we're mandated reporters, so we cross-report uh, financial abuse to our law enforcement agencies. So. Yeah, so I think that's really something that's important, too, for all of us um, because it can happen so quick, so easy, and not to to get over any embarrassment we might have over being taken. Exactly. And exactly. And then get on it and report it. So the that- scams nowadays are so sophisticated. They're just so sophisticated. It's really hard to tell a scam uh, nowadays. And so we just we just really encourage people to report it. And also, we have a financial booklet that we we give people that just outlines what to do next, you know, get your credit reports, has all the numbers for the credit agencies in that booklet as well. Um, And so that's another resource that's available. If you call our office, we'll be happy to send that out. Well, okay, so so far I know you have the five wishes and you have the financial resources. So is that the best way for people to call and then you'll send it out? Or Mm -hmm. is there a, a... Place to drop in, or is it better to call? Oh, either one, either one. Uh, so you can come into our social services lobby at the Main Root Center, and we'd be happy to to give it to you there. Just ask for um, our department, and we'll come out and get you wow. what you need. Okay, so great services are available. So that financial abuse is much bigger because I was thinking more in terms of a family member or a caregiver, maybe stealing. Checks. I guess people don't use checks anymore, but uh, or credit cards. Um, but but there it, it's broad. That happens as well. That happens as well. Uh, another big scam is the Facebook sweetheart scams. Though that one is pretty big as big as. So well. could you tell us what a Facebook um, Facebook a, sweetheart scam is? Sure. Um, so they'll reach out to a person on Facebook and develop a relationship. Um, this person thinks they're communicating with somebody, you know, who might be interested in them for a relationship. Um, but in reality, it's somebody that's not even, that's not their interest. And and unfortunately, right now in our society, people are isolated, and so they're lonely. And so they go ahead and continue to interact with folks online and then the folks start asking for money. And they can play, you know, the long game with this and interact with them for several months wow. before they ask for money. And it starts off with a little bit of money, and then the money slowly increases the amounts, and then the need increases. Um, so we really encourage, you know, people to to not get involved with those, especially and verify if possibly if you can who you're actually communicating with. Oh boy, this is just more complicated than I thought. <laughs> There's just so much that you do, and so the the that's fine, some of the financial abuse, and then the other types of abuse that that you would see. Um, 
like I, I do know that emotional abuse is part of it, but how might that look? So a, a senior may be living with a family member who may be verbally abusive, perhaps physically abusive. So if um, if the senior is willing, what we can do with APS is we can assist that person with completing what we call an EA-100 eviction order, and so that we can help them file it with the court, and depending on the circumstances, the judge may order uh, a kick-out order, so that person would be asked to leave the home either immediately with or, or within a certain amount of time. So that is a a really good strategy for helping the senior to be able to manage that situation if they've attempted on their own just with no success. Okay, so that's emotional abuse. And then unfortunately, do you see physical abuse too? Uh, we do. We do. Yeah, we do. Um, same situation. Again, if the client has capacity, they're the ones who determine if they're willing to do the eviction and have that person leave. Otherwise, if they're, they're not willing to do that, then we hook them up with community beyond violence, counseling services, anything that we can do to support them. And then if they really don't have the capacity to see their um, abuse, is this where somebody, um, a loved one or a neighbor, church member, um, could could call on somebody's behalf? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so they would just call in for a welfare check to APS, and so we would open the case and go out and just meet with that person, find out what's going on, um, see what services that we can offer them. Um, you know, we kind of get a feel for if they have capacity or not. Maybe we'll reach out and get our senior nurse involved, reach out to their doctor. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on the situation uh, and if they, if truly they're just not able to make decisions for themselves. So if you do call on behalf of someone you've noticed that might might need a welfare check, I, I like the way that that's phrased, do, can it be anonymous? Yeah, absolutely. APS cases are confidential. Our reporting parties are never so, or shared so with, they don't with anyone. Come in and say, "Well, your neighbor called." No, no, we can't do that. No, so so they have we, no idea how they somebody heard that they might need a welfare check. Exactly, exactly. Our social workers are awesome and very kind, and you know, we just go out and meet with the client and just say, "Hey, you know, we had a call of concern from the community. Um, our calls are anonymous. They come into our call line, and." you know, just strike up a conversation and try and see if we can figure out what's what's going on and if what we can do to help them. Because APS has no authority to remove anybody from their home. We're there to help and find out what supports they need to stay safe in their home. That's what we want. So I, I know I've heard some folks be concerned about getting the government involved and getting an official involved and that's Somebody will then take over your life, take over your money, tell you what to do. And I'm hearing that that is absolutely not what happens. But how, how would we respond um, to a, just a general conversation that somebody might say, oh, well, I wouldn't want to call because this might happen to that person and they could lose everything. Mm. Um, I know. So from the public guardian part, uh, point of view, so we're, we are the last resort. And we um, are obligated to do family searches. 
Um, and so we have to make sure that there is absolutely nobody else available to, to serve this client and to, to take care of them. So if there was a family member out of state, you could find that family member? Uh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Usually they'll come up on our family search. Okay. And then we'll talk to that family member and see what they're willing to do and not do um, for that person. Um, and then we can, you know, figure out what's what's the best course of action for that person. Um, as far as APS is concerned, um, APS is a voluntary service. So somebody has a right to refuse services at the door. Um, we're, we're not there to um, take over anybody's life or remove them from their home. We're, we're there to help them find those supports so that they can stay in their home. So would, how often would you say, Kelly, that somebody calls anonymously uh, and that you're turned away? Is it, is it pre- half of the time, or are people usually pretty happy that somebody is there to hear that they need a little extra help? You know, it really depends on the cases. I, I would say most of the time people are are open and they understand that we're only there to help. Um, but there are those cases where clients refuse to talk to us. And then, you know, that's where it can get a little frustrating from, you know, maybe the reporting party's point of view because we can't report back to the reporting party. So cases are confidential, and so if the client refuses services, we're not able to report back, right? So if if that person continues to see issues, then our eight cases open and close. So I just would really encourage people to to still continue to close because what we're or I'm, I'm sorry, you still continue to call because what we're doing is we're building that paper trail to eventually possibly help that person. And, you know, after they see our face a couple of times, most of the time people are are willing to just say, you know, why we're there and, and if, if they need any help. And if yeah. they don't, that's okay. Because, again, uh, somebody might have that preconception that if someone comes to the door, they want to take over. And it does sound like that's not what your goal is at not all. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So we're getting close to the end. Um, how would... We avoid having um, to go through a conservatorship. What's what is your suggestion for for those of as of any age listening to this? What what is a good idea for us to be doing? It's just making those advance plans, just as you have had earlier on your on your show talking about if a trust is appropriate for you, if powers of attorneys are appropriate for you. Um, filling out that five, the five wishes booklet, um, just so something is written down, find that trusted person or friend, family members who are able to make those decisions for you when you can't and figure out, you know, your care when you're not able to do that on your own. Yeah, because it's so great to have your services in our community. We're, we're so fortunate. Um, I think all counties have some adult uh, protection services, but I know the folks in your office are just amazing, and um, so we're very, very fortunate to have that. But, but there are some workarounds for the situations um, like conservatorship. I mean, definitely, if somebody's having some kind of financial abuse, mm-hmm. m- emotional abuse, physical abuse, that's a, a different, different story. Exactly. Well, we have just a short uh, amount of time, and I just wanted to check in with you. Okay. And 
this is a lot for any human being to take on, you know, to know the challenges that somebody deals with. So how did you find this field and, and uh, how do you keep going every day? Um, well, first of all, uh, when I first started out in my career, I started in pension administration, believe it or not. And I had a staff member who was working for me and uh, received a diagnosis of a terminal illness and had nobody to help her. So I ended up helping her on nights and weekends, unwind her her life, basically, and get her moved down to be closer to her son who was going to school in San Diego. She didn't want him to stop school. So we were able to do all of that and get her near a hospice facility there. Um, so after that, it was just really eye-opening, all the details that it takes to, to care for somebody and help them through that process. Um, so shortly after that, I changed my focus to social services. And so I've been working with the county, and I love my job. I love my team. They're very compassionate, dedicated people who are out there in the field trying to make a difference and better, better people's lives. Well, I can't thank you enough for what you do for our community and for all the individuals that you work with. And in the last 20 seconds, could you give us your phone number again so that people uh, can give you a call, if, or your office a call sure. if they need, need yeah, to Yeah, it's you. Adult Services at 530-265-1639. And we do answer our phones with real people, very friendly real people, and they'd be happy to help you. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. And you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and my guest has been Kelly Carpenter, Adult Services Program Manager. You can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.